When you go to a gym in January, you typically see many new faces that weren't there before, don't you? It's highly motivated people that are looking to be in shape because it's a new year. The unfortunate thing that happens is over time, the numbers go down. And those very people that were motivated and excited to go are no longer attending a few weeks and months later. They bail on their New Year's resolutions and commitments. You see, the truth is the same phenomenon happens in the church, where people come to saving faith. They get a new start, if you will, see results for a time in their walk with God, only to give up and begin relaxing because it's hard to keep the momentum going. The truth is, spiritual exercise is very difficult at times. It is not an easy practice. So many times we start with passion and very little knowledge, only to end up with more knowledge but a lot less passion. The key is not how much self-motivation we have. The key is knowing what exactly it is that we're committing to and executing faithfully on that commitment. Without accountability in the gym, many end up quitting. So it is in the faith. Many faithful Christians become lone rangers that want to do their own thing. They may go to church, have a membership, just like those in the gym, but they never build the connections necessary to continue their spiritual walk consistently. When it comes to accountability, it's a word many don't like today especially in the church. It means someone is checking in and seeing how we're doing. And sometimes we're not doing so well, are we? What's interesting, though, is many understand that accountability is important in every other area of life except the local church. If you were to ask the average middle-aged older person in the church if people should be accountable, they would resoundly answer with a yes. But if you were to ask them if they're being held accountable, they would be very disappointed in you asking. Fathers and mothers will check in on their children in making sure that they're following what the standards are in the home. And particularly if you were to ask them, who holds you responsible or accountable? They would look at you as if you're insulting them. I'm an adult. I know what I'm doing. The Lord Jesus Christ died so that people could be free from sin, but he's also called us to live a life that's set apart and holy to him. Not just passionately living positionally, but also practically living it out faithfully. The unfortunate reality in the church many times is carnality is not just tolerated, it is flat out praised and accepted. Everybody's so good with their sin struggles that they openly praise people for struggling instead of holding them accountable. It's as if accountability means nothing to God. The reason Jesus died doesn't matter to many. The local church has turned into a come and go as you please, leave as you came. We no longer preach that sin offends. And that God wants us to hold each other accountable, which is one of the reasons why the churches today in America have done away with membership entirely. But as we look at the Word of God, we see a very different picture. Because some of these verses are going to be very clearly showing us that God means for us to hold one, one another accountable in the context of the local church. In fact, in Galatians 6, 1, it says this, Brethren... If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You see, God is essentially wanting us to watch out for one another, to pay attention to what's going on, to not just be there in the good times, but also, as we sang, in the bad because many times people are the instrument that God uses in our lives. Those of us that can help 
As the text says, those that are spiritual ought to help those that are weak. But be careful so you don't fall into the same trap that person has. I don't know if you've ever experienced it in your life or seen it for yourself. A person trying to help somebody does the same thing they're doing. They fall into the same trap that they did. That's why it's important to be spiritually mature. What's unfortunate is many consider trying to restore, but others pivot to condemning or judging. And that can be the case in churches where people are looked down on for struggling in the faith. The argument is not whether we struggle, brothers and sisters. The argument is when we struggle, is anybody there? Is anybody there? Because the truth is we all need someone there. And for the believer that says, I don't need the church, they haven't read their Bible. They haven't prioritized what God prioritizes. If you were to ask the average person, what is it that I would want in my life, many would say to be left alone. Scripture calls us to something different. Scripture calls us to be accountable to one another, to be accountable to the Word of God. You see, here's the truth. Leaving someone to suffer consequences of sin is not doing them any favors. It's amazing that the world even understands if someone has a drug problem, we don't want to leave them there. But the church, for some reason, is like, I don't want to be too judgy. I don't want to say anything. And that person's falling apart. Their life is a disaster. They're hurting. The family's falling apart. And the church is going, you know what? We don't want to say anything. We're just going to be nice. If you've read anything of Jesus, he's kind, he's not nice. Those are two different things. Having someone deal with the consequences of sin is potentially more dangerous than if you confronted them and they took it the wrong way. You see, in Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, we read the following. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, in this context, the writer is speaking to believers who had the proclivity that we all have to walk away from the God that we claim to love and not live in faith. There is accountability that comes in the form of encouragement. Biblical encouragement always points to the truth. So when people think people are confrontational and they're encouraging, they think those are two different things in the Bible. Well, they blend in with truth. They merge in truth. They don't separate. Encouraging somebody in a lifestyle of sin is not what God wants. Confronting someone in their sin is what God wants, but both have to happen in the right way. Case in point, if you and I as parents, if we have any children, see a Mack truck coming, headed for them in the street, we would be wise to pull them out. That's essentially what happens in the church. Someone's about to get run over, and people are standing there going, oh, they're about to get hurt, they're about to get hurt, and we don't do anything. What's even worse is when the church encourages that sinful practice. It's okay, brother or sister, you're good just the way you are. The warning here is of a potential setback and sin Avoiding it, pretending that it will go away is not going to make that happen. I don't know if you've ever tried to do this in your life. Try to pretend that you're not as sinful as you are. How many of us have fallen to this trap if we've grown up in the church? Man, I had a horrible week, did not live to, get, live to what God wanted me to live. You know, but on church day, Sunday, I've cleaned it up, I'm looking good. 
I've done my part. Don't we feel good about ourselves sometimes? You know, some of us, we have the hashtag blessed or, you know, we did our devotions. Like we had to have everybody in the world know we're doing something right. One of my favorite things, and I know this is kind of an illustration that many of us are familiar with. Have you ever done a family picture and people don't see what happened before the family picture? Like the, the wonderful post on Facebook, everybody's like, oh my word, your children are adorable. Uh, a minute earlier, not so adorable. I think that's what happens in the Christian life sometimes. I think what happens is we put on a front that looks so good. And God's saying, you know what? There's accountability that needs to happen. There's things that you need to work on by the power of the Holy Spirit in the word of, that I've called you to. Putting off and putting on need to both happen in the Christian life. There's a lot of churches that only emphasize one or the other. Let me explain. Okay? There are many churches that emphasize putting off and they don't emphasize putting on. So what they do is they build a bunch of rules into place in the church, say, stop doing this, stop drinking, stop doing, you know, and they build this list out. And they think if you just stop doing this, now you're going to live by the Spirit. It's not true. There needs to be a putting on that happens as well. And unfortunately, some churches swing the other extreme, where they go, listen, you're a, a child of God, God loves you the way you are, don't worry, he'll work all this out in your life without confronting any sin. There needs to be a putting off and a putting on. Both need to happen in the life of the believer. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24 says this, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. There has to be a continual putting off and putting on in the believer's life. So many think, if I don't think about it, it'll make it go away. You know people that do that? Maybe you do that. Maybe you think, I've got this sin I'm struggling with. There's these areas in my life that I really know God wants me to deal with, but I'm just going to pretend they don't exist, and hopefully they'll go away on their own. It's essentially that person that spends money on their credit card, hoping the credit card bill goes down, and just ignoring, making the minimum payment. Never really dealing with the full balance. Do you know what kind of trap that is? It's scary at times when you finally get a reality check, isn't it? When you see the real balance for what it is instead of just making the minimum payments, you know that there's a lot more that's due. And unfortunately for many of us, we don't want to do the work. Christ takes care of the sin problem in dying on our behalf. But he also enables us by the Holy Spirit to fight that sin that is still found in the old man. And I want you to notice in Ephesians 4 when he says, the former conduct. There are certain practices a believer ought to have that non-believers don't. The truth is, the war still wages inside every one of us. The war wages in every one of our hearts if we're believers. The church is necessary to fight against sin. It's not optional. You will never have a successful believer fight sin on their own. Jesus died for the church. And I know everybody thinks that they're the special one in the church, which is why the exceptions apply to them. That's not the case. Jesus has called us to certain things that we need to follow. And in following him, we're going to see what Hebrews reiterates in chapter 10. In chapter 10, it's a text that many of us are familiar with. You've heard sermons preached on this if you've been in the church. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You see, the truth is when you and I are out of fellowship, as saints, we lose sight of what the Christian life is all about. You ever have this happen? You ever go about your work week, you're kind of doing the normal thing, working your job, and then all of a sudden you come across a Christian brother or sister, and then it's like a realignment happens. Oh yeah, there's more to this than just my job. God's called me to more than just what I'm doing right now, currently. There's a reason why the holding fast without wavering is connected to fellowship. You want stability in your life? Fellowship with the saints needs to be a priority. It's connected to the importance of assembling ourselves together. Believer, you're going to fall apart on your own. You will not grow in love and good works on your own. This text clearly says that this is something that you have a group effort in. If we all want to stand before Jesus and hear him say, well done, then other brothers and sisters ought to come alongside us. You see, the truth is, lack of assurance is directly tied into a lack of accountability. A child is most safe when a parent cares about their well-being. To a parent that goes, you know what, I don't care what you do, just have at it. They're not parenting the way God would call them to. If we're not warning our children of the dangers in this world, we're not doing what God's called us to. If the church is not warning those in their midst of what God's called them to, then the church has lost its savor. The flavor of saltiness is gone. It's for your benefit and the benefit of others. Now here's one that's controversial today because we're a very independent-oriented society. America, my rights, right? Hebrews 13, 17 is a problem for a lot of people. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. And this is speaking of elders in the church. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. What he's saying essentially here is to the leader that is truly trying to get the church to see what God says, you ought to submit where he's aligning with God. Because the truth is this, any pastor or shepherd is called specifically to live in light of one day standing before Jesus and giving an account for the church that he pastored. And brothers and sisters, that's not something I take lightly. To know that one day God is going to hold me accountable for how I pastored the church. If only a person knew the heartbreak behind the scenes for a pastor who cares for his people. As someone said one time, Pastor, I think you're just too intrusive. You want to know too much about what's going on in my life. If the person knew the reason I cared, they would know that that's what God's called me to. And not in a judgmental, condescending, I'm better than you way, because I'm a fellow struggler. But because of God's called us to holiness, and that's what we need, need to try to attain in this church. Why do you care so much about what I do? Because God calls us to care. What friend would we have that never asked us the hard questions? And consider them a really good friend. If you want a fair weather friend, you can find them anywhere. Go to a bar. You'll find a fair weather friend there. Yeah, them Yankees, they did great. You can find those anywhere. Common interests. The church is different. It's called to a higher standard. The truth is, pastors, if they didn't care for the sheep entrusted to their care, are not doing what God expects from them. Period. And here's the kicker. 
God's going to hold me accountable for not caring. Many see success in ministry through the ABCs of the church. Attendance, building, and cash. God sees it differently. God calls ministers to these roles, and I'm not going to go through every verse because we could be here a while, but I'm going to just kind of list them for you. Here's what God calls a pastor to, in case you're wondering what the Bible says, okay? He calls pastors to teach the word, instruct others what Scripture is saying, even dealing with hard truths. Do you think when a pastor's preaching through a text that he knows a member of his is struggling with that sin, that they are truly like, man, I can't wait to get to this one? No, he has to be honest with the text. He needs to care for the sheep. God calls ministers to not just teach the word, but to preach the word, what we're doing this morning. To preach the word with persuasion, moving others to act on what the text itself is saying. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you coming here and leaving with nothing different. I want you to be persuaded by what the word of God says and living it out. Pastors are to shepherd the flock, to be gentle, but also aware of the dangers. A shepherd checks on the sheep, else he really doesn't care about them. Proclaim the gospel. Pastors are called to share the good news with others that don't know God. To disciple others. Train others up to be disciples who make disciples. It doesn't start and stop with you receiving the gospel message. It needs to go to others. This is the one that's hard sometimes for people to understand. A pastor is also called to be an overseer. That means that they need to see the bigger picture and see what needs to be done down the road. I see a good example of this in what Pastor Rizzo did with the school. He looked ahead, saw the need for a school, and started the school. And I'll be perfectly transparent, I didn't see it right away. You see the big picture now. You see society and where it's come now, and you realize how important their school is. Another role for the pastor is to equip the saints. Some churches think the pastor needs to do everything. That's not what Scripture says. The pastor is to equip the saints, give opportunities to exercise the gifts God has given the saints. And sometimes you won't know what it is God's called you to until you've tried. These are all responsibilities of a pastor or elder of a church, and unfortunately we get pushed back on all these roles of a pastor from different congregants. And here's what I mean by pushback in all these roles. Sometimes we hear the, pastor, you didn't emphasize this enough, okay? You hear that critique? Pastor, you were too hard on this, okay? We hear that critique. Pastor, you didn't care about this? You know, it, it's all over. Pastors will be told there's no place for me to serve by those that don't faithfully attend. Listen, brothers and sisters, I can't get you to be a part of this church if you're not here. Like, that would be ridiculous for me to ask you to serve if you're not attending faithfully. Discipleship is not just something the pastor is called to. All saints are called to that. We're going to talk about that here in a few weeks. Believer, I'm not one to stop opportunities God may have given you as a person to serve in this church. But it has to benefit the body. It can't just be your own personal desire. I like this, so please make me do that. We all have preferences in the church. Not all of those preferences are what God calls us to serve in. When a pastor preaches, is many times taken as something personal, even though it's exactly what the text is getting at. And if a person was a student of the word, they would know that it was the approach of Paul in many of his, le many of his letters where he called things out specifically. In fact, the letters that he wrote to churches, if you read them, you'd see that Paul both encourages them, the saints, and calls them to repentance for sin. It's not either or, it's both that a pastor's called to. Believer, I want you to be encouraged with your walk with God, but not at the expense of ignoring your sin and falling into self-deception. 
There, there are many pastors you'll find today that I will be perfectly honest with you, they are very convincing. They are very convincing that I'm great just the way I am. And I will say that when they stand before Jesus, I would be terrified to be them. I'm already terrified myself to stand before Jesus one day and give an account for what I've done as a pastor. I'm encouraged when I see brothers and sisters that take small steps in obedience and God grows them. I've seen marriages change, lives changed. Over the years, people that were bitter are much better. People that truly were always like, eh, complaining, are the ones calling others out for complaining because they realized that that was something that they constantly did themselves. If Scripture warns that self-deception is a possibility, then that could be you today. Just as the gospel is good news doesn't mean that there was no bad news in the gospel. There is bad news. Apart from Christ, we're damned for eternity. That's the good news of the gospel. You have no good news if you don't have the bad news. Positive thoughts don't make sin go away, brothers and sisters. Just think positive thoughts. Just think positive thoughts. That's a worldly philosophy. It's not in the Bible. Because you've got to put on and put off. Both have to be actively done. They don't happen automatically. When people talk about walking in the Spirit, it's not as if you just read one verse and now it's just going to magically make everything in your day go better. That's not how it works. When Paul talks to Timothy, he says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, he's telling him to do some work. He's giving him specific things to do by the Spirit of God. Intentionally walking in the Spirit. Believers, I just want to share my heart with you for a moment. As a pastor, pastor, there's been many ups and downs in ministry. Many times I have considered whether or not this is what I ought to be doing. For those of you that are visiting, shocker. I'm sorry. But the reason I'm saying that is because I know how serious this matter is before God. And I'm afraid of dropping the ball in areas that I know God's called me to. And as a church, those of you that are members of Sovereign Grace Church currently, those that have not and are considering it, I want you to kind of stick around and hear the whole series. Know that today it's hard in a modern context where people can just go find another person to listen to online and they don't want to be committed and faithful where you are. You see, in the old days, you didn't have social media. You didn't have the distractions of technology. That's one of the reasons why when people listen to a sermon, they check out within 10, 15 minutes. That's just how it is in modern context. We're, we're too easily changing. We need something different. Our children can't sit still, right? That's all of us. We all have that. I have three boys, believe me. I get it. I really do get it. The truth is this, brothers and sisters, those of you that are members of this church, I want you to know I sincerely love you. I love you from all my heart. If you knew the prayers I prayed behind the scenes for the things that I know many of you go through, I want to share that with you this morning. I have a hard time being honest enough about certain things with people. I'm an open person. I'm not afraid to share things. But I have a lot of things I don't share as a pastor because it makes me feel like, man, I'm going to be weak if I say this. So I'm, I'm sharing it today, okay? Some of you are such a tremendous encouragement to me because I've seen progress in your walk with God. I've seen you grow in your faith. I've seen you love God's word. And I know some of you, you probably, when I came in as pastor, you're like, man, Pastor Roman is like, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. It's that important. It's that important. Believe it or not, when Jesus makes the statement, we ought to believe him when he says, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's Jesus' words. If you're following Jesus, you ought to believe him. Not me. Don't worry about me. I'm just the messenger boy. Sent. The truth is, brothers and sisters, we have a lot of things that we ought to deal with in our lives, honestly, with integrity. And when 
confronted with certain things, understand that behind the person that's concerned or wanting us, calling us to repentance or calling us and encouraging us, hey, we missed you at church. They're not judging you when you're not here. And if they are, well, they will be called out for that. If you're watching this online and you're not here with us, we want you back. The writer of Hebrews says to encourage even more as you see the day approaching. Not less. And I want to personally thank some of you that have been sending me messages and encouragements behind the scenes. There's a lot of ups and downs in ministry. There are a lot of hard things that we'd have to deal with as pastors. And some of you are going through very difficult trials right now. We have two families in this church. This last week was a wild ride. But church, understand that accountability doesn't matter just for you, it matters for me. I need people to hold me accountable. And over the years, I've had brothers that spoken to my life many times. Hey, pastor, you know, I think this right here, you didn't exactly do it the right way. And it's like, you know what, according to scripture, you're right. I was wrong. Forgive me. But what is accountability if you don't have membership? What does that look like in scripture? The first question I would ask any church leader if they claim to have accountability in their church is whether or not they have formal membership or not. You see, church membership is important for the following reasons. We're just going to list them here as we finish. Number one, and we'll, we'll break more of this stuff down in the next couple weeks. It's more of an overview today, just an introductory sermon to the, to the context of where we're going. Number one, for local fellowship. Paul wrote to congregations or churches in Corinth, Galatia, Thessalonica, specific locations. These were people that gathered together with elders that were established to lead. This wasn't a everybody just says their thing, kumbaya, Alcoholics Anonymous session. This was an organized group of people that met together in homes with leaders. When people heard the gospel and were baptized in the book of Acts... They were numbered in the church. They had fellowship around the word. They ate together and prayed. Why do you think we love potlucks in this church? It's biblical. It's in the Bible. In fact, how many times do you see Jesus preach that food isn't involved? It's very rare. I think the, the one that's really obvious is the one at the well, right, where he's sitting there with the Samaritan woman. Acts 2, 41 through 42 says this in regards to the local fellowship. Then those who gladly received his word, Peter's, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. It isn't just one of those things that we pick as an option in the church. All of them are important. Doctrine's important. Teaching. Is important. It's a word that people don't want to use anymore. We don't believe in doctrine. Yeah, you do. Everybody does. It's another word for teaching. It's just a matter of is it false doctrine or biblical. Everybody teaches. Matter is what you teach. Fellowship. That's having things in common together. Breaking of bread and prayers. This is focusing around the Lord's Supper. Reminded of his death and burial and resurrection and making prayer a priority in our church. For a pastor, number two, to lead a specific people. This is why membership is important. Pastors aren't called to shepherd people around the world. Look, John MacArthur may be a pastor and may be a great pastor, but he's not called to technically pastor any of those that are watching him online across the country. And unfortunately, what many in the church will do is they will attend a church, find an online pastor they prefer, and truly go, I'm really not going to commit to that church. I like this guy online. Listen, I'm going to be right up front with you on this. I, I, don't, I don't hold any ill will towards anybody that does that. My thing is this. If you really love that pastor, just go move and actually go to his church so he can truly pastor you. It's unfortunate, but so many people cheapen what God's called the local church to be. 
Because you know what we like? We as Christians like appetizers in the faith. Let me try a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little of this on Sunday, this on Monday, oh, a little verse on the Tuesday. Oh, another clip came up on my Facebook feed. Now I'm going to share that. Like, we have such a gambit of different teachers in our lives that we don't even know what's true or false anymore. Our diet is off spiritually. First Peter tells us that elders are to shepherd the flock of God which is among you. I'm not called to pastor somebody in Arizona. I'm called to pastor those that are here in Springfield, Massachusetts. Those that are in our midst. Not a have to, but a want to. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4 says this. The elders who are among you I exhort, who I am I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Believer, I know you've heard all this stuff about accountability. That's what God calls me to. It's a pretty high standard. You mean pastors shouldn't just want what they want? No. Pastors should want what God wants and align with him. And sometimes it'll look like it's what pastor wants, but it's truly what God wants. And that's where people get confused. Pastor, why do you care so much about purity in our marriage? Uh, the Bible says that. Not because I'm trying to be intrusive. I'm not asking you to go knock on your door tomorrow. That's not what I'm doing. I'm calling you to what Scripture calls you to. What God calls you to. Another reason why membership's important, this is one we mentioned earlier, for accountability. This is to keep everyone in check, including the pastor. Bottom line, if a pastor's abusing his authority, he ought to be called out for that. Those of you that are members of this church, if a pastor abuses authority, you have every right to approach that and confront that, biblically speaking. A pastor that's not willing to be confronted about sin is not doing what God's called him to. Because the truth is, all of us as men and women have things that God needs to deal with in our lives. Bottom line, if membership is not needed, accountability cannot be implemented. Look, if someone just attends and is not a member of a church, they can't be held accountable. Certain things just can't be dealt with in that midst. In fact, Paul emphasizes the importance of church discipline in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 regarding a man that has an incestuous relationship with his father's wife. Yeah, this stuff's in the Bible. We think our culture's so perverse. It, it's been going on. Like, this isn't new that we're so perverse. 1 Corinthians 5.1 says this, It is actually reported, this is Paul writing to a church, that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. That means even the world doesn't tolerate this stuff. That a man has his father's wife. What? Some of you are like, this is the first time I've ever read this. It's in the Bible. Like people struggle with sin back then. Shocker, we're all sinners. You mean churches have problems like this? Yeah. Here's the difference between the church back then and the church today. The church back then, Paul confronted directly. Churches today celebrate this. Churches today are going like, hey man, God made you the way you are. Celebrate. Wave that flag. Here's Paul's godly counsel to this church regarding the situation. This would wreak havoc in many churches today if it was truly implemented. Let me repeat that. This would wreak havoc in many churches today if this was implemented. Notice what he says about this person. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, 
along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Leave that person to Satan's devices, warning them. Many churches do not like church discipline and avoid it entirely, glossing over sin that ought to be dealt with in their midst. In fact, many people are like, oh yeah, you know, we all have problems, so it just gives you a pass automatically. We're all sinners, so we should just be able to do whatever we want, right? What person would want, to lead, want a pastor that leads them that does not stay faithful to his own spouse? No right person in their right mind would do that in a church. And yet churches are tolerating and celebrating this stuff today. They like what Paul said about love and grace, but truth and the necessity of church discipline is something that many believe today is not necessary in the church anymore. We need to be loving and accepting. We can't call that out. I mean, if we do, that person might leave. Here's the truth. They should. In fact, Paul is specifically saying that this is, is something I have as an authority of an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. What floors me is when pastors contradict what Paul says, they're essentially saying, I'm more important than Paul. I have a closer walk with, Paul, with God than, than Paul does. Jesus sides with me over Paul in these matters. That's essentially what they're saying. They don't want to come out and say it that way, but that's what they're saying. We ought to be gracious and loving, but tolerating sin in unbelievers is one thing. Tolerating it in the church is another. Believer, I want to make sure I'm clear about something here. If you and I expect the world to act like the church, we're not expecting it correctly. You ought to live around other people that do not know God and by your lifestyle convict them. Live differently. The first step they need is the gospel. They don't need you worrying about their life. If they've accepted the gospel, that's when the Holy Spirit starts working and we ought to come alongside one another and building one another up. The problem is when we apply the same standard to both, we can no longer hold others accountable to the standard of God's word. And churches get at this completely backwards. Here's what I mean by that. Churches will go condemn the world while tolerating sin in their midst. Pretty jacked up. Yeah, the world is like this. It's wicked. It's evil. What about the marriages in your church, brother? What about the stuff we tolerate in our churches? Jesus fulfilled the law, but he didn't free us from sin, only continue to willfully sin so that there's more grace. You don't just sin just so God can keep forgiving you. That is not the call of the Christian. That is an abuse of grace and is practiced by many in the church today. Well, listen, I can't help myself. You're right, you can't. You need the Spirit. You need others. And many people definitely can't help themselves when they're isolating themselves from everyone else. That's never going to happen. In fact, many people would outright ignore Paul's words later in this chapter and think that Christians that apply this are not being loving. I'm going to read this part of the text, and I want you to think of how this would come across in many churches today if we actually did this, okay? 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a viler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Wait a second. Uh, in the Greek, it means... No, 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 no. Stop that. That's what a lot of modern-day preachers are doing today. Let's finish. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Goodness gracious. That is not loving, Paul. I don't agree with you at all. That is exactly why you don't follow the Bible. 
Because that to you looks like hate. That does not look like love in modern churches today. That looks like hate to modern churches. Because modern churches are too afraid to address sin in their church. They'd rather grow the numbers and the cash than be faithful to the text of Scripture. Paul is essentially saying disciples of Jesus should not behave like the world and the church should not tolerate it. Do we behave like the world sometimes? Sure we do. Is that something that we should be good with? No. This is not arguing that we don't sin. We all sin. But if we openly practice sin and it's tolerated and celebrated, we are not doing what Scripture calls us to. There can be a tendency to go too far and never rebuild that relationship. In fact, the church of Corinth took what Paul said seriously. They applied it. And you know what happened? They went too far with it. The brother repented, agreed that it was sin, no longer partook in it, and they're like, oh, can't let you back in, man. We know what you're like. That ought not be done either. When a person repents, they truly want to get back in the fellowship, they want to live right with God, we ought to be accepting of them in the fellowship again. The whole point of discipline was to get them to walk faithfully with God once again, not just to isolate them to themselves. Which is one of the reasons why in the modern church today, people want to go to a church that approves of everything they do so they can feel good about themselves. You might as well have a TED Talk for Sunday mornings. Five things that are positive about you. And when you leave, Jesus is not even in the context. It really floored me this Last Christmas, I, was, I as a pastor, I do, I entertain myself by watching what pastors preach on Christmas. Sorry, you know, probably you might not do that, but I do. Just because I'm always curious, like, what are other pastors preaching around this time? Obviously, shepherds, wise men, like, it's the standard prototypical sermons for many, right? But then there's also ones that you're like, wow, how did you get that conclusion? And one that I heard, it was just fascinating. Maybe you saw this online. If you have, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about if you did, did actually have this clip come across your Facebook. But one pastor goes, you know... They didn't make room for Jesus. And he pivoted the sermon. Instead of applying it going, you know, we need to make time, room for Christ in our lives and prioritizing that, he pivoted to, you know, people don't make time for you. And made the whole sermon about people and the time for us that they ought to have. Like, shifted the focus from Jesus to, you are so important. You're amazing. God is about you. I'm just going like, you butchered the text. That's not what that text was about. The proper application there would have been, am I making room for Jesus in my life? Not, is Jesus and others making room for me? There's a difference between wanting to condemn another brother or sister for sin, which is wrong, and wanting holiness to be the practice of the church. There are very snide remarks people make in condescending, condemning ways. That is not what I'm speaking of here, okay? If you're one of those people like, yeah, I get a chance now to go point out sin in others, that's what God calls me to. No, nope, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is you walking uprightly, caring for your brothers and sisters in the faith enough to address sin in their life and them to be able to address sin in your life. Whoa, yeah. It's a two-way street. Accountability needs to happen. Paul spoke of his love for the churches, but he didn't mince words to call them out of what needed to be dealt with. The church needs more accountability, not less. More encouragement and admonishment. Ignoring the sin to only focus on grace dismisses why grace was even given to begin with. Why would you need grace if you weren't a sinner? Why did Jesus have to pay? If that's not something you ought to worry about. You're missing the gospel message entirely if you want to abuse grace. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is one of the reasons why membership is important. Because God calls us to focus on this as a group of believers to reach the ends of the earth. In bringing a person to Christ, discipleship is the logical, biblical next step. Unfortunately, 
Many in the church separate the two. It's all one with what Jesus calls his disciples to in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority. Some authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Wait a second. You mean I don't get to pick and choose what I want people to know? No, a disciple of Jesus is to teach them all things that he's commanded. Even the stuff that's hard to deal with. Even the stuff that's like, man, you know, this whole loving my wife as Christ has called me to, like, that's hard, yes. But it need to be taught in the church. It ought not be ignored. Like, what's this submission thing in the Bible? I don't want to agree with that. It needs to be taught in the church. What's this, like, children obey your parents? It needs to be taught in the church. The local church... And, and, and Jesus finishes, says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. If Jesus has been given all authority, he's delegated us as disciple makers. That authority was given to him to pass on to us to share the gospel. We stand as his representatives. The local church is the means by which the gospel can go forth and discipleship can happen. Evangelism and discipleship needs to go together. And unfortunately, it's separated in the church. Many people come to Jesus and nobody disciples them. They're just left hanging on their own. Like, hey, just come to church. Hopefully, we'll figure it out. Every disciple of Jesus should want others to meet him and to help them grow. Brothers and sisters, if you're a believer in Jesus, you've known Jesus for some time, you ought not remain just a believer in Jesus. You ought to be a disciple and disciple maker. Your goal is to invest in others and have others invest in you. Not go, I'm doing my own thing, I'm reading whatever I want, and uh, that should be good enough. No, if you're following Jesus, you have a whole body that God wants you to connect with, the church. It doesn't have to be this church. I'm just saying you need to connect to a body of believers and truly make that a priority in your life. There's hard work in discipleship. But in conclusion, I have a question for you and me. Does the church matter to me? Does the church matter to me? And a lot of people will be like, yeah, it does. It definitely matters. You know, I like going. That's not what I was asking. Does the church matter to me? Let's, let's pause for a moment and, and, and kind of ask that with more precision. Do the people of the church matter to me? Not the building. You gather in a building, obviously. But do the people of the church, the people that I'm called to minister alongside and input in my life, do they matter to me? Or am I kind of like, ah, eh, when I feel like it? Do you find it important to be here? To serve the body? Or are you looking to be served? You see, a lot of people go to churches just so they can feel good about themselves, so they like the music, so they like what the, what the preacher's saying, because it makes them feel good. And, I, and many times, there are going to be texts that are just going to lift you up as a believer and encourage you. And there will be other ones like, listen, you've got to deal with this. It's some pretty serious stuff you've got to work on in your life. Both have to happen, but unbiblical encouragement is flat-out heresy. If we're encouraging each other in the wrong things, that's not what God calls us to. Today's Christianity has a consumer mentality. Pick and choose, a la carte. What you want today might not be what you want tomorrow. Pick something else. As one author put it, there are different types of members in every church. And mind you, this isn't inspired, but I think it helps us with a little template to look at. list is not exhaustive, it's not inspired, but like I said, it provides some thoughts. These are the different types of members in any given church at any given time, okay? Number one, there's generational members. I'll be here no matter what because my family's been here. 
They, they, they just do their thing because, you know, grandma was here, grandpa was there, mom and dad were here, so I'm just doing my thing. Those are those kind of members. Number two, you have the confrontational member. What do I mean by that? I'll be here when those people leave. Personal conflict keeps this person from being in the church. They don't work on resolving things. They try to avoid people that they have conflicts with. That's not the way to deal with conflict. Number three, recreational. This is the common one in America. I'll be here when I want. I don't feel like it this morning. Got a game coming up. By the way, the Patriots are out, so don't worry about that anymore. They stunk this year. No one else really expects much from me. I'll just come out whenever I want. There's really no point in being here. I could just take the week off. What does it matter? Number four, there's the relational member. I'll be here as long as that person or family is still here. Once they leave, I'm out. Essentially, what you're saying is people are the reason I'm here, and only that person matters. And if that person's not here, I'm no longer attending. It's not thinking of the whole, it's thinking of, well, is that person? I'm out. The problem with this is if you're in a clique, everyone leaves. Everyone leaves. And number five, this is the devotional member. I'll be here as long as Jesus and his word is honored and preached. Once that doesn't happen, I'm out. Gathering for God's word and worship being a priority is more important than making sure my feelings aren't hurt. Here's the truth, brothers and sisters. Your feelings are going to get hurt. If they haven't been, you haven't been paying attention. We all get hurt at times. But the question is that pain for our good or to our detriment? When you and I exercise physically, it's for our good, isn't it? But doing that extra lift does not mean that it's not good for us in the long term. In that moment, it's painful. The devotional member are a blessing to the church because they see the bigger picture outside themselves and even the disappointments that they have in others. Here's the truth that I got to say I am so encouraged by when I get to this point here is the members in this church that many times could have left that truly just said, you know what, I don't agree with Pastor Roman here, but you know what, I really love being a part of this body. And sometimes Pastor Roman ruffles my feathers too much, but I really do care that we're faithful to the text of Scripture. I really do care that I'm doing right by God and what he's called me to. And believe it or not, there's also times that God moves us on. And there's nothing wrong with that. Unfortunately, too many times it's easier to just give up and fade away in another context where you won't be held accountable. I want to make this point. If you're here and you're like, hey, I don't know about this membership thing, I want you to know we, we are called to be held accountable. We're going to talk about that here in the next couple of weeks. Like those of you that have been members in the church and you haven't really been accountable for certain things, like we're going to be talking about that again. It's uncomfortable. Yes, I know. But it actually is for our good. The goal for every member should be to find their place of service in the local body. Meaning, I don't want you, if you're a member of the church, coming in here, sitting down on Sunday morning, and doing nothing the rest of the week to serve the body of Christ. There's a place for you here. There is a service for you here. And if it's just visiting an, el uh, an, an elderly couple in the church that just needs someone to say hi do that. Oh, you know, it's nothing fancy. Look, you can post about it on Facebook, okay? It'll make it a little more fancy, right? Bottom line, God's called us to serve, and it might not be in the areas that we want sometimes, but it's what he's called us to do, and we ought to do them. Some have served in areas they never thought years ago, but they do today. If you're a member of the church, you should strive to maintain fellowship where other believers, with other believers in that body. That means that even outside these church walls, you want to connect with people. So here's my new year, right? We didn't get to gather last week. Here's my proposition for those of you that are members of Sovereign Grace Church. You heard it from Pastor first, and I'm going to put it out there that I'm going to apply this. I want to call you to invite people into your home this year. Outside 
outside of the people that you're used to always inviting. Meaning, find another brother or sister that hasn't been to your home yet and invite them out. Make that a priority. Pointing, lack, pointing out lack of fellowship while never inviting someone is pointing three fingers back at yourself. Well, they don't. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're a fault too. Understand as a member, the pastor ought to care about your well-being. If he doesn't, he's not doing what God's called him to. Some of you are like, oh, the pastors, man, they just always say all this stuff in the Bible. It just convicts me. Some things ought to. It's not being intrusive to care for those under your leadership. Pastors have to give an account before God. Did you know that? Did you know that I, if I don't care about you, God holds me accountable for that? Like, that's not the only reason I do it, but the truth is knowing that you're standing before God and God goes, why didn't you call that out? Why didn't you deal with that? Why didn't you encourage that brother or sister in this area when they were going through a hard time? It's both in the good and the bad times God calls us to be there for people. When they're way off as a sheep or whether they're walking faithfully. One of the hardest balances to find, I'm going to be perfectly honest and we're finished here. One of the hardest balances for me as a pastor to find is to try to be there for everybody. One of the hardest things to do. Setting expectations. Someone expects this, someone expects that. Right? Some people have a long list, some have a short list of expectations for you. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, we have to do the best that we can with what God's given us and the tools that he's given us. And we're not going to do that perfectly. I'm not going to do that perfectly. Neither are you. We're not arguing that we've now arrived to perfection in this country and in this state and in this church. We're arguing that we ought to hold each other accountable. That's what God calls us to. Truth is, pastors want couples to truly love one another, to raise their kids in a godly home, to serve the Lord with joy, even if you're single, the broken to be restored, saints loving one another in the fear of the Lord. Instead of complaining about a person, to pray for that person. Goodness gracious, God changes the way we think. There have been so many times I want to complain about a church member in my heart. I'm like, God, I'm going to pray for them. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm doing the very thing I don't like others doing. <laughs> Complaining. Forgive me, Lord. There's a purpose to this. Commit to being held accountable and grow up in these areas. Stop taking things so personally. What floors me is adults that take things more personally than kids. Oh, my goodness. Some of us, were grown adults in the church that get more upset than our children do when someone confronts them. That ought not be. Don't get so upset when a brother or sister is asking where you were last Sunday. And by the way, I want to add this caveat in there. Please don't lie to them either. Like, if you didn't feel like going, just say it. Be honest. Have integrity. Well, you know, I had a little sniffle. You did things on Saturday. You did things on Monday. You were perfectly the same. Don't lie. You think God's good with that? I don't think so. Scripture's pretty clear on that. Be honest. I love the believers. Like, listen, I wasn't feeling it today, Pastor. I'll be back next week. Good. That's honest. That's integrity. If you're sick, you're sick. Okay, you're out. We understand that. Like, no one's asking you to come in and spread that. Okay? We're not. What we are asking for is to us to apply the Bible consistently. Tell the truth. Brother and sister, like if you're struggling with something, be honest about it if you need someone to pray for you on that. Don't hold it all in and like act like you have it together. One of the most beneficial things of the body is when you're broken and falling apart to go to another brother and sister, can you pray for me? In case you're wondering, I do that with others. Oh, the pastor asked people for pray to pray for him. Yeah. What do you think? Life flows like Pollyanna in my life? Goodness gracious, no. You have a problem with somebody? Talk to them about it. Don't hold a grudge. Don't pretend there's nothing there. I've had to ask for forgiveness and clarification plenty of times by people I've hurt. Take evangelism seriously. Try to share the good news this year. Make God a priority in your schedule this year. Don't like... Fill your schedule and then go, uh, God, I have this left. I have this little bit left for you. Will you be okay with that if I give you this 20 minutes that I have left out of my busy life that I cram with everything but you? 
If you're not a member of Sovereign Grace Church and would like to become a member, I want to encourage you to come back to hear this whole series out, to speak to myself, to Doug Pelican. We'd love to give you more information because we're going to be talking about this in the next coming weeks. We will be doing a series on what it means to be a member here in small groups soon. And we want to encourage you to come. Those of you that are members of the church right now, we want to encourage all of you to come. Because here's the problem that happens in closing, is many of us have an expectation that's different from someone else in the church. We don't align. And that causes problems in our midst. And we want to align those things in our church. 